opportunity to take some of our uh, Berean people and Pastor Kevin and Miss Trudy so graciously hosted our table and we went out to um, a gala at for Garden Gate Ranch over at the Iowa Event Center and just amazing hearing the if you don't know about them you can go to their website Garden Gate Ranch and just the testimonies that these young ladies were sharing of being delivered out of brokenness and into a new life and for most of them, the theme, what they were saying was, even through all the circumstances that were going on during the trial and the situations that were deep in their heart, that they could still feel that there was a God that loved them. There was still a God that was caring, still a God that was protecting them. And all in all, I'm so thankful that there is a Jesus who will wrap his arms around us, no matter where we're at, no matter our need, no matter how big or small. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.
the church one more time. Come on, sing that. Thank you, Jesus.
lifted in this room. I just want you to sing that. Sing, you are the one. He's the one that provides. He's the one that heals. He's the one that delivers. You are the one. Come on, sing out, church. Lift your voice. Lift your hands. Lift your heart to him and you. to you, Lord. We offer it up to you, a sacrifice to you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, he is the one. Amen. things that I just want you to be aware of. Our state district council, which is our annual business meeting for the Sons of God in Iowa, begins tonight. And one of our own family, Gage Bender, will be receiving his ordination credential. Give it up for Gage. And you're welcome to join us at New Hope at 6.30 tonight. Uh, if you want to join us for that service, it's open. Um, there's some day of, of health form you have to fill out and all that, but it's open and you're welcome to come and join us tonight. And then just a quick announcement about Wednesday night. I don't want this to be a big deal, but we're going through the book of Revelation and this Wednesday night we're going to talk about Mystery Babylon, the religious and political institution hated by God called Babylon. And it will not be broadcast and it will not be recorded and I will ask you to not record so that I can talk freely about what I think is coming on the planet. Um, uh, I'm not doing that to get you to come, though we will be receiving a double offering that night. I'm, I'm, not, 
I just, um, we've been trolled this week. I got an email from a troll. There are people out there looking for things to just use against the church, and I don't want to help them. Amen. Don't want to help them. So if you come, I'm going to ask you not to record, and uh, we'll just have a good time in Bible study together, all right? Everybody good with that? If you're not good with that, I'm sorry. It's just the way life is today. We live in a world that's becoming more and more pagan and more and more antichrist, and we're going to have to be more and more careful. Yep. Really are. Not afraid, but careful. We're not ignorant of the devil's devices. Hallelujah. Now for the good, second good news is um, we're, we're getting rid of Jake and Vanessa. Jake and Vanessa, would you come to the platform? They finally get to go back to the mission field, and we want to pray for them. Ask them to share a greeting, and then we're going to pray together for them and, and Kinley. Yes, go ahead. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you to all of you so much. Um, Brian has always been my biggest supporter when I went the first time, and you've been our biggest supporter this time. Uh, so it's not without your prayers and your financial support and all that you have done for us, watching me grow up from middle school, a lot of you, uh, that we're standing here today to be able to say that God is faithful and we're able to go, right? Amen. And so I just want to leave this very brief encouragement with you, is that continue and strive forward in living out this community of love that we call family, right? Sure. The church. And you know, as Pastor Gary's saying, we live in a world that is so ready to talk about what divides us, right? What puts a wedge between us, but what's going to transform this community, what's going to transform Botswana is a community that lives out the love of family, right? That doesn't give up, that looks past the divisions, the things we disagree about, and is united in the love for Jesus Christ. And we promise, this is our promise to you, we will do everything in our power and in the power of the Holy Spirit to live that out in Botswana. So thank you, church. Amen, amen, amen. So Jake, I was just trying to do the math, but I don't know your current age. How old were you 11 years ago? 11. Now you're 18. 18. You're 18. I thought you were younger than that. All right. So 18, <laughs> when we came, it's been a joy to watch God work in your life and watch you grow and develop over the 11 years that we've been here. And I'm sure those of you who have been here longer would say the same. And, uh, and Vanessa, you have been an incredible asset to this team. And um, just want you to know how much we appreciate you in the short time we've gotten to know you. I, and I mean this sincerely. I love your laugh. So... <laughs> I said, I'm going to record that, and at appropriate times of the message, the sound booth is going to play it just to keep us all. Would you stand with me, and let's pray for God's protection, blessing, and anointing on their lives. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for Jake and Vanessa and their heart and passion to fulfill your calling on their lives. I pray, God, that your anointing would be rich and real on them, that you would grant the desires of their heart, that they would discover a new anointing in ministry that they, have not been, that they have not experienced prior to this new venture. I pray, God, the doors would open. I pray for hands, your hand of protection on their life and that in all they do as they raise their family and reach the world will glorify your name. We commit them to your love and care and your keeping, trusting to hear wonderful stories of what you have done through them for the kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. 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 Give them a hand one more time. Blessings. Bless you. I'm going to do this anyway. All right. Is that all right if I do that? Bless you. For those of you that are offended by COVID violations, I don't care. 
enjoy this video clip. I'm glad for that. Love reigns over death, hell, and the grave. And we understood that on Resurrection Sunday. The week following, we talked about how love reigns over our past. And um, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. How many of you are glad that love reigns over your past? Amen. Eight of you. The rest of you need to find Jesus. And we're praying for that very thing to happen. Let's try that again. How many of you are glad that love reigns over your past? Amen. He's forgiven it. It's done away with. And then love reigns over our present if we'll walk in that discipline that requires some things of us. And this morning, we're going to talk about how love reigns over our future. And I'm going to offer this disclaimer. Every year at this time of the year, I have allergies. And so I may cough from time to time, and that is no cause for alarm. You don't have to run screaming from the building. Uh, I will keep my distance. And those of you in the North Chapel, I promise you that it won't come out of the screen. And those of you that are online are safe as well. All right. So don't worry about that. I'm just trying to deal with my normal turkey season cough. Isn't it weird that I even have to say that? So what does it mean that love reigns over our future? Well, ultimately, love reigns over our future in that we are promised heaven as our home. How many are glad for that? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is a real place, and when you die... You're going to spend it forever in hell or in heaven. And that choice is not God's. That choice is yours. You decide where you'll spend your eternity by your response to the gospel message. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you admit that you're in need of a Savior, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and if you confess him as your personal Savior and Lord, there's a promise that goes with that. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And for all of those that make that commitment of faith to Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity in heaven with him. But likewise, there's a lake of fire into which death and hell will be cast at the end of the age. And the Bible tells us it's a place where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. It's a horrible place that goes on forever and ever and ever. You were created by God to be an eternal spirit and he cannot 
change that without denying himself. So you will spend eternity somewhere. And for the saints of the Most High God, and for those that are lost and on a different journey, I make an appeal to you this morning to let love reign over your future. Make sure that you've received the love that reigns over your past. Walk in the love that reigns over your present. And you can trust that love will reign over your future forever and ever and ever. And we celebrate that as children of God. The Bible calls that our hope. It also tells us that we have a blessed hope. We're told that Jesus is coming back. And I'm telling you, I've never said this or felt it like I have in the last few years that Jesus is coming soon. I'm more convinced than ever that we're living in the last days. And the Bible says this, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm telling you, he's coming back. His love reigns over our future. Jesus is coming back. We'll enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb and spend forever with him in heaven. And I'm glad to report to you this morning. I'm more convinced of that today than I've ever been in my life. Jesus loves us and our future is taken care of. But what about our future here? Not our eternal future, but our temporal future. That's where we live. That's where we struggle. That's where we have our challenges. We worry about the future. If you have ever worried about anything in the future, raise your neighbor's hand. <laughs> we all have. And the only way that it's not true for you is that you're... Um, you're ignoring it or you're, you're, you're completely unaware of what's going on around you. The future is something that all mankind worries about. A motivational speaker by the name of Anita Brooks put it this way, anxiety lives in the future, depression lives in the past, hope begins today. From a, a presentation called Getting Through What You Can't Get Over. What a great title, Getting Through What You Can't Get Over. I'm going to read that again. She suggests that anxiety lives in the future, depression lives in the past, hope begins today. And what I've been trying to declare to you from Resurrection Sunday to this is there's a better way to live than that. You don't have to let anxiety reign over your future. You don't have to let depression reign over your past because God's love reigns over our lives, past, present, and future and we need to learn how to give the future to God if love reigns it will conquer your depression over the past if it reigns it will conquer your anxiety over the future and I want to talk specifically about our future plans our future problems and our future provisions are all in his hands and we need to learn how to trust him the Bible warns that in the last days men's hearts will begin failing them for fear over the things that begin to come on the earth. That day is this day. And if there ever was a time that the church needed to walk in the peace of God that passes all understanding, if there was ever a time that we needed to let the peace of God rule in our hearts through Christ Jesus, it's in this day of division, in this day of turmoil, in this day of confusion, in this day of fear. Let's let God reign over our future and walk in the peace of God. Is there anybody in the house today. Let's let love reign. What about my future plans? 
Well, I want to talk to you just for a moment about the value of making plans. Sometimes Christians ridicule that. And you've probably heard this quote before. If you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. How many have heard that before? How many have heard it just now? <laughs> you might be surprised that that was made popular by the great theologian Woody Allen. <laughs> Nobody ever told me that. Now, he didn't originate it. It came from a Yiddish proverb that says, your plans, God laughs, but he popularized it. And somehow it worked its way into Christian conversation and into sermons and into leadership training all over the place. And we kind of then ridicule it that, yeah, your plans are something that God um, chuckles at. But really, if you understand planning, planning's a valuable part of us getting the work done that needs to be done. Now, my wife and I are very different when it comes to planning. My daughter's got her planning gene. My daughter, Tiffany, for birthday or Christmas, her favorite gift is a planner. Are you kidding me? I mean, that causes me depression. <laughs> because when... <laughs> I joke, but I'm going to be in trouble for this. But my wife is such a planner that if we go on vacation, she knows at what time we'll be at rest stops, and you, be, you better be ready to get out there because we're not doing it again. <laughs> my idea is get in the car, put gas in, and drive around and see what happens. Now, who's going to have the better time? I promise you she will because there'll be things planned for us to experience, and if you just live kind of on the moment, a whole day can be wasted because you didn't find anything. There is value in planning, planning for the future and planning for life. What is planning? It is simply a sequence of action steps to achieve some specific goal. If a person does it effectively, then you can reduce the necessary time and effort in achieving the goal. The plan is like a map. And most men don't fully understand that because we won't even ask directions. Like Daniel Boone said, I never was lost. I was bewildered for three days once, but I never was lost. Planning provides direction for action. Planning ensures that goals and objectives are clearly defined so that they act as a guide for deciding what action should be taken in which direction. And I will readily admit, very little happens without a plan. If you're a builder going to build a house, you better have a plan. If you're going to build any kind of DIY project, you better have a plan. Uh, Mike Morehouse will tell you, if you're going to wire a house, you better have a plan plan, not just start running wires from one thing to another. I've been in some of those houses that who planned this, but that's a whole nother story. Very little of value gets done without a plan. Plans for the future, though, cause many of us to worry. What's coming? How can I plan for that? was standing on the racquetball court this past week and we were talking about the future and future plans. And I do believe in planning for the future. Don't misunderstand this. But your planning for the future won't guarantee that what you plan for is going to happen. How many of us know that? 
I remember the story that was told. I knew who the couple was, didn't know them personally. They had a small, a small mom and pop business in Ames and didn't in their entire working career ever take a vacation. They saved their vacation money every year. They saved as much money as they could because their dream was when they hit 65, they were going to retire, buy a motor home, and spend the rest of their days going all the places that they hadn't gone when they were younger. They were going to travel the United States. They had plans for cruises and trips, and they were going to enjoy all of that. The problem was when she turned 65, she was diagnosed with cancer and died within the next 12 months. Now, I could preach to you about enjoying the journey, which I'm fully vested in. You do need to smell the roses along the way. But the idea being, you can plan, have all your action steps, know exactly what you want to do and what you want to accomplish with no guarantee that it will come to pass. How many know that's true? How many of you have had plans disappointed? When I was growing up, my mother discouraged plans. I'm not sure where this came from, but if we'd planned to go to grandma's or we'd planned to go somewhere, she'd say, now don't talk about it. You'll jinx it and it won't happen. And so you have this kind of fear that if you plan anything, it's not ever going to take place. But we all know that planning doesn't guarantee it. It gives you a map, but it doesn't guarantee that it's going to happen. Planning has value, but there's an inadequacy for the child of God in simply making plans. Scripture does make it clear that we cannot control our plans. Listen to what it says in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. It's not a prohibition against planning. It's a challenge to make sure that your planning stays in submission to the will of God. Because none of us can guarantee that our plans will come to pass. When we think about our plans and our worry about our plans, how many of us have lived in a place where I've got a plan charted out for the future, but I live in fear that it won't come to pass? And we can't enjoy the moment because we're afraid that our plans will fail, that we won't arrive at the destination. We won't get to the place that we want to go. Well, I want to encourage you about plans and your plans for the future. God has plans for you. <laughs> That's what we need to rest in. Regardless of what you have planned, God has plans for you. The verses are often quoted. You may have them on a plaque on your wall or embroidered, embroidered um, in some fashion somewhere in your house from Jeremiah chapter 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me 
me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, I'm going to pause for a minute and acknowledge that there are some theologians that rebuke Christians for claiming that verse. So let's just make something clear. That verse wasn't given to Christians. It was given to the children of Israel in Babylon and saying to them, while you are in captivity, know this, I have plans for you. I've not forgotten you. It was a promise directly to the nation of Israel in captivity. What does that mean to us today? It means everything. Because as you watch God's dealing with Israel, the things that happened to them in the Old Testament were written, according to Paul, for our learning that we would understand how God works. We'd understand what his principles are. And the principles portrayed in Jeremiah are also repeated in various ways throughout the Old Testament. And while, yes, it wasn't given to you directly in Abraham, it was appropriated to you. And through Israel as a type, it was offered to you. And what was said to them on that day in captivity can be said to us living in this world that we're in. God is saying to you, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. God has plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future wherever you are and whatever you're facing. Rejoice and celebrate that you may not be in that place now and you may not be sure your plans will come to pass and I can't guarantee that they will but I can guarantee you that he has plans for you and they are wondrous and they are glorious to prosper and bless you. That's what God has planned for you. Amen. He said to, or Jeremiah reminds us that God said to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. That's not for me. I'm not Jeremiah again. Do I need to repeat that part and just replay that again? No, it was for Jeremiah, but it reveals the heart of God. It reveals the foreknowledge of God. It reveals the passion and plan of God for you. And for you, it can be said just as well. Before God formed you in the womb, he knew you. People will come to me and say, well, what about children that are born with birth defects? What about children that are born with other kinds of problems? Did God know that? It didn't say that God caused it. It said he knew it. Do you know why that's so important? Because if God knew it, he can chart a plan for you that honors his name and glorifies his creation and puts you in a place of sustenance and fulfillment. There's never been a person born on the planet that God didn't already know and have a plan for. He has a plan for. That plan's not abortion. That plan is fulfilling the purpose and calling of God. What about the horrible things that happen to people? There was a, a great gala last night. Our church was represented with Garden Gate Ministries and the ladies that have gone through incredible, terrible forms of abuse. Was that the will of God? No. But he knew beforehand what would happen to you, the choices you would make and where you would go. And at the moment you turn to him, do you know what happens? He's got a plan for you. Come on, someone help me this morning. He's got a plan for you and your life and all you've got to do is turn to him and from where you turn to him, he's got a journey forward that will glorify his name. In Psalm 139, we read, for you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Everybody say that out loud right now. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Say it. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You need to look in the mirror and say that to yourself several times. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That doesn't mean you're scary. It means that God in reverence and awe created you for his purposes. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. That's who God is and who he wants to be toward you in regard to your plans for the future. Yes, you need to plan, but understand that God has a plan for you to prosper and bless you and honor his name. So when you look down the road and you don't know what's coming, he does. And again, I say this often, I do not believe that God purposes everything that happens in your life. But I do believe that God knew what would happen and puts a purpose into those things. How many are hearing me this morning? When you're planning, just know God already has a plan. Is there anybody in the house this morning? God already has a plan. Your future plans need to be surrendered to him knowing that he already has a plan for you. And people get frustrated When their plans don't align with his, get in alignment with him and know that he has a plan. Oh, what about my future problems? (laughs) In, (laughs) In this world, you will have trouble. Life will not be easy. Jesus made it clear that this is true. And one of the three friends of Job, in trying to comfort him, says some things that are, they all say things that are less than helpful, but Eliphaz does capture it in this place when he says, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. How many have ever been in trouble? Nobody over here. I'm going to preach over here a while. This is where the holy people are. Let's try this again. How many of you have ever been in trouble? Something bad happened to you. Something you weren't expecting. Trouble. Weren't expecting it. I can look back over my life and tell you all kinds of things of trouble that happened, just like all of you can. Um, I wasn't planning for my parents to get a divorce. I wasn't planning for things to happen that happened to me. I wasn't planning on all that. All of a sudden, you find yourself in the middle of a storm that wasn't of your planning. It's trouble that comes against you. It's out there. People get mad for, for no reason. People do incredible things. Accidents happen. Bad things take place. But we worry about trouble that hasn't happened yet. People have mental illnesses that keep them locked in their house. They're afraid to go outside for what might happen. I read about 
a mother who was terrified to send her son to the basement to get something, wouldn't let him go to the basement because she was terrified when he went down there, the, the, the support beam would fall on his head and kill him and he'd die in the basement. You say, well, that's ridiculous. I don't know if it's ridiculous. It could happen. Could happen. Trouble comes our way. Things come against us. And sometimes that, sometimes that robs us of enjoying the present because we're worried about something bad that could happen. Carol and I didn't plan for our son to get cancer. We didn't plan to bury him. And you know what that can do? It can scar you. It can cause you to worry about things that haven't happened yet because of the pain you have already experienced. And some of you right now know exactly what I'm talking about. You're not willing to take a risk in a specific area because of the pain that you experienced in a similar situation. And it locks you up and it ties you up and you're paralyzed by fear over future trouble that might be coming your way. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It, it binds people. It torments people. It destroys people because they're afraid. We have this, this we're afraid to love. We're afraid to care. And I, I don't know where you are, but I, I know I've been there. I've, I've been to a place at times, Pastor Larry, where it's like, I'm not going to risk caring about people anymore. Just gets thrown back in my face. I'm not going to risk serving anymore because what do I get out of that? I'm not going to risk giving anymore because of what it costs me. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I know every one of us have experienced that at some time or another. Present pain causes you to worry about a future pain and you're paralyzed not by what has happened but by what could happen. And we're not willing to move. You know how else that shows up? It shows up in how you evaluate people. When you say, I know what you're thinking, do you know what that is? That's your previous pain dictating over your present, trying to determine your future. Well, I know what they're going to do. No. Are you hearing me right now? We begin to evaluate what someone else might do. Now, I know that past behavior is the best indicator of future performance. I get that. But I'm telling you that we judge people in ways that we don't have the right to judge. In fact, it can be someone entirely different that because this person treated me badly, I expect that one to treat me badly. All pastors are bad. All law enforcement are bad. All leaders are bad. All people in business are bad because I had a bad experience and that colors them all. And my fear of what might happen in the future colors my perception of the present and it keeps me from functioning in a Christian fashion. Well, how can we fix that? The first thing that I think you've got to consider is that trouble has value. <laughs> Hallelujah. I didn't expect you to shout me down, but... God has plans to prosper you. And sometimes some of us aren't ready to be prospered. So if he's going to prosper you, he's going to have to purge some things off of you. And it's the 
trial of your faith being more precious than gold, though it be tried with fire, that you might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, that yes, it is the will of God for you to go into a trial and be reshaped and changed and pruned and molded into his image so that you can be in a place that you can enjoy and receive the prosperity he has for you. Prosperity in an un prepared vessel is a curse it destroys people now I am not I am not going to pray that God will send me in a fiery trial I am not praying for an affliction but here's what I know that affliction works out of us the glory of God as it prunes us from our flesh. Amen. So when you're in the middle of the trial, rather than resisting and fighting the trial, maybe determine what is it that God wants to use to change in me for my growth so that I can move forward. Because here's what I also know, that everything that the devil means for evil, God has the ability to turn about for good. What the devil meant against Joseph and the nation of Israel to destroy them, God turned it about for good to the saving of the nation. What the devil means for evil, God turns about for good. And our job isn't to run from pain. Our job is to submit to God. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We will have afflictions. Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. And when Satan tries to hurt us, God turns it into a strength and that's a manifestation of his love so watch this with me would you God reigns over your future trouble <laughs> you gotta let him reign over that it's in his hand and we quote the psalm often but we don't listen to it. Do you know how much we sing that we don't listen to? How much we read we don't hear? How much we, we quote that we haven't assimilated? Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's talking about in the future. He's not talking about doing it now. He's saying, even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the greatest fear of mankind is dying. We have fear of someone near us dying. We have fear of all those kinds of things. And he says, even though, if, when, when that comes to pass, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, your discipline and your comfort, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What else will he do? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have to have enemies to have a table prepared in their presence. <laughs> you have to have enemies for that to happen. Well, I would like a table prepared in the presence of my friends. I'd like them to see how really special I truly am. Oh no, here's what God does. 
when those snarling, howling wolves surround you and they're about to devour you, God shows up in the valley of the shadow of death and he will hold them back and he will prepare a table in front of you. He will anoint your head with oil. He will show his presence and favor on you in the middle of those difficult times when the glory of God will shine and you've got to look at your future this way, that whatever future trouble is coming, his love reigns over that and he will be with me whatever valley I walk through, whatever enemies come against me, those future pains that may come, I can trust him because he will prepare me and I believe that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and at the end of my journey, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. However the journey goes, at the end we win. Come on, someone help me now. We win. We win. We win. His love reigns over your future plans. He's got one for you. His love reigns over your future problems. He's got those covered. But probably more realistic and more relevant is our future provisions. We worry about future provisions. Financial stability is uncertain. Your best financial planning doesn't guarantee a secure financial future. I'm not suggesting you should not plan financially. I'm just telling you that rules can change and things can change. I remember when I was um, a youth pastor and uh, we had a loan on the church building of 6% interest on the building of that, uh, the construction of that building. We wanted to buy a piano that was $1,200, the youth group did, and we were going to have to borrow the money, went down to the bank, and he said, I will give you 6% on the piano if we re, if we include it in the, no, he said, I will give you a loan on the piano if we incorporate that into the church loan and write a new loan at 12%. When we pastored in Olwine, the going rate for construction loans was pushing 19%. Farmers were jumping out of windows. I had a, we were pastoring in Olwine and a farmer that um, corn prices were in the tank and what was happening, hog prices were going up. And so in order to stay afloat and service their debt, they expanded their farrow to finish hog operation and invested with several, a couple thousand more hogs and they had to go and borrow some more money. Went to the bank and he said, you're upside down. I said, what do you mean we're upside down? He said, we just devalued your land from 4,000 acre to 2,000 acre and we're calling in your loan. What I'm saying to you is, the banker at 6% said to me, we will never again see interest rates as low as 6%. I'm just saying to you, you and I, I, financial planning, I'm for it. Are you hearing me right now? I'm for it. Don't be, don't be foolish. But don't rest your future on your financial planning because it can all change. Finances are unstable. I read a story of a uh, Latin American country that overnight they reduced people's income by a decimal point by leaving their debt the same. Think about what that does to an economy. That if you're making, um, if you are making five thousand a month, all of a sudden that gets changed to five hundred a month, and your debt load stays the same. 
I'm just telling you, you can't insulate yourself from things that could happen on this earth. So plan and do your best, but understand, we get wrapped up with our uncertainty. Will I have enough to live tomorrow? Will the rules change tomorrow from what we live by today? Will I be able to pay for my kids' college? Will I be able to sustain myself in retirement? Will I be able to service my debt load? Will I be able to pay for health care? Will I be able to pay for extended health care costs? And all of those financial issues that are out there are very real. And they haunt people in the night. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Do you know there was a group of soldiers that stood before John the Baptist? As John the Baptist was telling them, the crowd that had gathered, what they needed to do to repent and be part of the kingdom of God. The soldiers came to John the Baptist and said, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, and be content with your pay. (laughs) That is not the American way. We cannot be content with our pay. We should be climbing. They should pay me more. I deserve a raise. There ought to be more coming my direction. Don't they know what I'm worth? You're liable to find out what you're worth. (laughs) Be content with your pay. You see, I really believe that if you trust God with your financial provision in the future, you can be content with what he's doing in the present. Philippians, we love to quote this verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, quit quoting that verse. You do not know whereof you speak. (laughs) Do you know what that verse means? It doesn't mean you can jump tall buildings in a single bound. It doesn't mean you can walk on water, cast out devils, raise the dead. That is not what it's talking about. Isn't it really fascinating to find out what Scripture is talking about when we lift a verse out of its context and put it in a promise box so we can tape it to our refrigerator and comfort ourselves? (laughs) Now, when you read context, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He's talking to the Philippians about their giving. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need. Paul, the apostle, man of God, I dare say there's not one of us in this room that would arise to the stature of the spiritual development and growth and impact of the apostle Paul. And if you think you do, we have a support group for you. (laughs) It'll take us 10 minutes. I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who strengthens me. (laughs) More important than leaping tall buildings in a single bound is learning how to be content today. 
1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. <laughs> I just feel like I'm in deep water right now. Because the American capitalistic culture that we equate with biblical principle, and the Bible doesn't teach capitalism, it teaches contentment. I'm a capitalist. Don't misunderstand me. And I can, I can defend that biblically. But I'm saying to you, the Bible doesn't demand capitalism. In fact, capitalism drives us to greed and conquering and achieving and climbing when Scripture calls us to be content with what you have today. In your provisions... Can you be content? And you know how we define rich and poor, right? Rich people are those who have more money than us. Poor people are those who have less than us. Because we are the standard by which everything gets evaluated. Can you be content? Well, there's more I want to do. I've told you this story before, but I, I can't help it. it just a startling moment. I just, ah. We were driving, Carol and I were driving through a community in Chicago. I'm telling you, look, we're living in a, I don't know if we were living in the trailer then, but it makes the story better. So <laughs> we probably had moved to a house by then. But I mean, when you're living in a 14 by 60 trailer and the night before you're to preach, I mean, it's our first Sunday there and the pipes are froze and you can't even take a shower. I mean, it's like, what in the world's going on? We're driving in Chicago and I see this community like I've never seen before. Houses like I've never, beautiful houses. There's a minivan when those were a status symbol. <laughs> and a sports car and an airplane with a runway between the houses. Are you serious? And I said, dear God, what I could do for missions with that money. We spiritualize our greed. I mean, it was right there. And God said, you'll do no more with what I bless you with than what you're doing with today. Be content. Is anyone hearing me right now? Be content. Are you trying to tell us we shouldn't achieve? No, I believe that we have a responsibility to glorify God with our finances. I do believe we honor God with success. I do believe that he wants to prosper us, but he can't do it from a platform of greed that flaunts our success. It can only happen when we're content with where we are and using our success to glorify him. It can't come from a platform of greed can only come from a platform of contentment. So do not worry, <laughs> saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Let me just give you, let me just take a test here about contentment. <laughs> uh, 
many of you had to wear bread wrappers inside your boots? The rest of you are just too prosperous. Oh, outside the boots. No, no, no. I didn't have to be Wonder Bread Boy. I had it inside, inside my boots. And I thought today, can you imagine if I said to one of my grandkids, you don't need new boots, you just need a bread wrapper. <laughs> like, Poppy, it's, it's happened. Senility has gotten him. It's gotten him. I'm not suggesting we go back to that. But think about it. If we're prospering anything, what kind of stories do we tell our grandkids? You know, I walked to school five miles uphill both ways. <laughs> I'm saying to you that there is something learned about contentment when you don't have everything you want that provides a basis for you to be able to enjoy the prosperity that God wants you to have. Are you hearing me now? How are you going to have that? By seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's not all about your financial success. It's about learning to be content and letting God reign over your finances. He will add all these things to you. Do you know why we worry about our finances in the future? Because we don't really trust the love of God. We don't really trust. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. So here's how I want us to kind of pull this together. God wants love to reign in your past, in your present, and in your future. So in a moment of authenticity and introspection, I just want to ask you, what do you worry about? What are you worried about? That's an indication of a place that you need to let love reign. I, I want to be careful what I say next. I'm not standing here as someone who has no need. I'm standing here as a person in need. There's a situation in our life that I'm, that I, I got up this morning depressed, worried. I, I, I don't know how this is going to be resolved. Probably the biggest load I've, we've ever had to carry. And I'll promise you, on Sunday mornings when I wake up, the devil is right there on my shoulder beating me up, more so than any other day of the week. And he was shouting at me this morning mocking me and taunting me this morning. And I just thought, I can't carry this. I can't carry this. But I can let his love reign over my worry. And what I can do is I can take it off my shoulders and give it back to him and say, I can't, I can't carry this. I can't carry this. But I know that you love more than I love. And
and I can trust your love. Are you hearing me now? And there's some of you here this morning online in the North Chapel here in this room that you're carrying a load he doesn't want you to carry. There is a worry about the future that is taunting you. And I can't tell you how it's going to go away. I can tell you, you can have peace if you let love reign. And if there is that load that you're carrying right now, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing that I had to do this morning that I have to do every morning. Every morning I take it off my back and I put it back in his hands and I let his love reign. If that's you, I just want you to stand up where you are. You've got a place you're worried about, taunting you, mocking you, and you want to give that back to God and let love reign over that. Would you just stand up real quickly wherever you are? I'm going to let love reign over that problem in my life. I'm going to let love reign over that fear, over that worry. I'm going to let love reign. I'm going to let love reign over my future. I'm going to let love reign over my future. Wait just a moment longer. I don't want you to talk to this person at all after service. You know, what's going on at all? I just want you right now to look around before you stand and then look towards someone. And would you just stretch your hand toward them? And right now, we're just going to let love reign. Come on, everyone standing, stretch your hand towards someone that's standing. And let's just ask right now in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we come to you recognizing and confessing our inability to carry the load that is in our hands. Lord, we recognize that we don't have the strength to overcome, but we're taking it off of our shoulders right now and we're putting it in your hands and we're trusting that your love will reign over our future. We're trusting that your love will reign over our future. Now, right now, just everyone in the house, lift your hands and just magnify Jesus. Would you just magnify Jesus? You're the one who made the heavens. the one 
you're the one one last time we sing sing that chorus you are the close just for a moment I feel like I heard someone say but I deserve better than this I deserve better than what's coming my way just remember what you deserved was eternal judgment and he's given you eternal life and when you feel that way God I have paid the price no, he paid the price. Come on, I said he paid the price. When those well up, just remember his love reigns. His love reigns. Jesus, help us believe that. Help us receive that. Help us walk in it, I ask, in your name. And everyone that loves him said, amen. Amen.